So, here we are at the end of a four-part series called Sojourning. And this is episode four. And episode four is wilderness versus civilization. We've talked about garden versus tower, kairos versus chronos, heaven versus earth. Now we're going to talk about wilderness versus civilization. Hey guys, this is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Um, and thanks for listening, by the way. I am in the woods. Um, it's a humid June afternoon. I can hear the cicada already beginning to sing. I can hear the babbling of a brook and some birds. So I hope you can hear some of those sounds as we walk as I walk and as you walk with me in these thoughts. (laughs) So, all right, let's go ahead and get into the episode. In Sojourning, we're talking about how we walk with God in the world. Like, this is an active thing, right? So, Jacob's on his way to find a wife for himself among Laban, his mm, uncle, right? And he has this encounter at Bethel. Bethel means house of God, you know, structure of God. Right, And he falls asleep. He sees angels ascending and descending on this ladder from the heavens. And he's like, this place must, he calls the place house of God. But then he, make, he, he draws this conclusion from that dream and from its meaning. He says, God, I've seen you. I've like had this heaven encounter. It's like a thin place. He's like, but if, if you are with me, if you will go with me, I will find success in my journey. And I know that, you know, wherever I go... I'll be okay, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, simplifying, but like, Jacob has this God encounter, but what does he conclude from that count, encounter? Not just that this one place, he erects a pillar of stones in honor of the encounter, but he doesn't just uh, conclude that God is in that place, but also that God will go with him. He, at that, from that moment on, becomes a sojourner with God. He has this, under, this new understanding that God is with him and that God will walk with him and he can walk with God. Isn't that cool? And look, guess what? He's traveling through a desert. (laughs) We are going to talk today about wilderness versus civilization. Wilderness, the mountain and the garden, that's God's paradigm, right? We think desert, sometimes we think desert as as sand and sand dunes and camels and but desert just means deserted places. Wilderness and desert, in Scripture at least, are used synonymously. Wilderness is just deserted places, a place where it's wild, right? It just means there's not the organization of men. There's not the city tower, right? That's wilderness. That's the desert. It's no coincidence that in the 3rd century, there was this, this spontaneous uh, movement for Christians to get away from the city and go out into the Egyptian desert. These, these people became known as monks. They, beca- they became known as the Desert Fathers. They started the Christian tradition of monasticism in the 3rd century. So we're going to talk about these guys <clears throat> as we wrap up this whole discussion of sojourning. What does it look like to walk with God? It looks like going through a desert. It looks like living life in a wilderness, right? Because what? Garden, mountain. Garden Mountain is wild. City Tower is super controlled, super pristine. It's, it's, it's exact and exacting, right? That's what we're talking about. It's like, it's the system that tries to rule out uncertainty. 
It tries to make everything predictable. But it's also very demanding, right? It's not a permaculture system. It requires more than it gives and it eats people alive. And that's his point. But it's so, it's so exact. It's so totalitarian. It's so controlling. It's not wild, but it's what? It's very, very safe. Everything is seen, at least from our perspective, it seems to be in our control. We're eradicating disease. We're eradicating famine, hunger. We're making food last longer. But what did I talk about in permaculture, right? The cost of that system is too great. It will eventually collapse because we it cannot be maintained. It consumes more than it gives. It takes more than it gives, right? It's exact, but the cost of that exactness is exacting. Kills us. Well, that's its point, right? So remember, we are we're contrasting garden the garden system and the tower system. Garden time, tower time. Heaven which heaven and earth like really remember the tower removes us from heaven it actually it actually creates this idea of heaven versus earth it actually kind of in a way pits us against the heavens right like you could say not heavens but replace that with nature like everything from the natural world is too wild it's too uncontrollable and we got to control everything we're becoming our own gods and we still create a system where we can control everything Nature is against us. There is this, in that system, nature, which can be synonymous with the world God created as, as he created it to be. It's too wild. It's, we can't control it. It's unpredictable. We don't like it. Remember Ecclesiastes? There's a time for everything. In God's system, there's a time for everything. Even war? Even, even casting away? Yeah. Why? Well, God has a purpose for all those times. But, but a lot of those times... What we would call the negative side of that Ecclesiastes passage, those are times we're not in control, right? We, we, that's a system where we're not in control. <sighs> so, that's City Tower. Everything's controlled, safe. Exact, but exacting. God's system, mountain, garden, it's wild. It's very wild. It's uncontrollable. It's scary to us. Especially when you're not adapted to it. What we're talking about with Sojourning is getting out of that system. Well, that's what the Desert Fathers did in the 3rd century. So let me give a little bit of historical background. In the 3rd century, what you had going on was there had been 300 years of persecution of the church. Really, uh, Judaism along with it, but Christians in particular. I mean, Christians were persecuted by Rome and by the Jews, right? So it was like twofold. But Jews often at the same time were persecuted by Rome as well. So you had 300 years of persecution. All of a sudden, that stopped. Constantine becomes the emperor. He makes Christianity a legal religion. And actually, he becomes a Christian eventually. It's, de- it's debated when exactly he became a Christian. And, but he certainly favored Christianity. He gave churches legal status and shelter uh, you know, in Rome. It really started at that point in the 3rd century to become the favored religion of Rome. Well, so these desert fathers, they saw this happening and they realized the implications of it, right? And they said, hey, you know what? This is not good. Making Christianity an imperial religion, institutionalizing it as a part of society, culture, and politics, it's going to change it. It's not good. So they got away from the cities into deserted places, and they went into the wilderness to encounter God and to maintain this kind of what's become an alternate kind of Christianity, which really focuses on 
what became known as contemplation or monasticism, which was, hey, we need to make sure that we still know how to be in tune with God. Because in the city tower, like they understood almost intuitively that institutionalizing Christianity and imperializing Christianity was going to adopt it into a system that was, whose very nature was to cut us off from God. So they wanted to preserve the knowledge and practice of being in tune with God. And so now we've come to think of monks as these super holy people. They know how to connect to God. We don't. We do this with our church systems too. Like somehow we think our pastor or theologians or Christian scholars, Bible professors, somehow they have some kind of inroad with God that we don't as well. But um, so we take this idea that came out of monasticism and the separation between the Christian institution and the kind of Christianity where we could know God. You know, we take that, those ideas and put them into our church setting as well. But basically in the third century, these monks were like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Like they literally saw the city tower structure ingesting Christianity and they said, they just knew this is going to change it in ways that causes it to lose God connection because that's what the city tower is designed to do. Now, I'll, I'll get into this too, but it doesn't, this doesn't mean that we can't live in cities and have the city-type culture and have the arts and all the benefits of city and have technological advancements and factories. Like, so I think that's a mistake Christians often make, especially interpreting the Bible in every kind of way. We, we tend to think too literal and we think too external, right? Kingdom of God is within you, right? That's what Jesus actually said. He said, you will not find it here by going here or there. The kingdom of God is within you. It's one of the things he said to the Pharisees. So it's not external, it's internal. But, like, there's a time and place to get out of the system of the city tower and back into the wilderness, which is a paradigm, it's a way of living. Even if you live in cities, even if you live in the world culture, which we will, which we do, which I don't think the scripture instructs us to separate quite like the monks did, but at that time it was kind of a necessary action because of the extreme forces that were taking over the church at the time but like this is what we're talking about so these desert fathers like really recognized what was going on and now today we have this idea super holy people like only those really holy monk people can know god in that deep way where they actually hear god and because they spend their whole life praying and that's really true i've been to i've stayed at monasteries and have seen their way of life. That's what's called the hours. Life's very regimented and there are different ways that monks organize themselves. But basically, centrally, they try to focus their lives on worship and prayer, like just focusing on God. Well, we can't do that, can we? Oh, well, for the first 300 years of Christianity, every Christian did that. It wasn't these special monk people that did that. The only reason that effervesced was because certain people saw what Christianity was becoming as it was adopted into Rome, as it was institutionalized and imperialized. And they said, we got to preserve what Jesus meant it to be, a relationship with God. They got to the literal wilderness to do that in Egypt. Right? They, these were people, um, like, I'm, I'm going to look up some of the names here. Let's find my notes. Sorry. I'm, there we go. Um, Anthony the Great, Paul of Thebes, or some, Anastasia of Alexandria. Um, he was a biographer of Anthony. This is really interesting. So this is another thing we'll be talking about. A Anastasia of Alexandria, biographer of Anthony, said, 
the desert had become a city. By the time Anthony had died in 356 AD, thousands of monks and nuns had been drawing to live in the desert following Anthony's example. And his biographer says, so much so that the desert had become a city. Hmm, wait a minute. There's the city tower and there's the garden wilderness. But I want you to understand something. It's the garden mountain that is truly civilized and the city that's truly the true wild. Like, we think the city, everything's controlled, everything's neat. You got your plumbing, you got your electrical, you got your neat streets and everything's tidy and there's all these systems and we think that's civilized. But it's killing us, right? It looks neat on the outside, but the true spirit and nature of it is destruction. It's chaos. It's not truly ordered in a way that's life-giving, right? It's not permaculture. City Tower is actually the true wilderness. The wilderness is the true civilization. It's the true life-giving order of things as God has created them. So I want you to understand that too. I just thought it was interesting that the desert had so many monks coming out by the time one of the early desert fathers, St. Anthony, died, that his biographer said, the desert had become a city. It had become this place of community. Right? What is a city, really? It's people. It's not the buildings. It's not the streets. It's not the systems. It's not the government. It's people living together. Right? Um, that's, the, that's the other part about the city tower. It focuses everybody on the system. I talked about that a little bit already, but like the system takes precedent over people. And so the systems must be maintained despite community. They're actually anti-community. So like we still preserve garden mountain mentality in those systems, right? Because we, we cannot help it because that's how we were created. But the city tower system is anti-community. It's anti-people. It's anti-thriving, right? It, the system comes before people like but God's the opposite people are the system it's important communities people uh, you know society that's what's most important Garden Mountain and of course we have a blending this is the already not yet that my vineyard tradition teaches it's like yeah we're in the middle of it yeah some in some ways we're like the Garden Mountain in some ways we're like the City Tower but we have to understand our, our national systems are more City Tower Anyway, Desert Fathers, people that literally went into the desert to escape. The city tower system, they actually got out of cities, but getting out of of the organization of the city wasn't their goal. It was to preserve this God connection. I just wanted to read. Okay, well, uh, Thomas Burton wrote a book. I'm going to find it. Uh, It's called The Wisdom of the Desert. So he writes a little bit about monasticism and the Desert Fathers, and then he quotes some of the Desert Fathers. So let me read some of what he said in his book, Wisdom of the Desert. So this is his own words first. Society, which meant pagan society limited by the horizons and prospects of life in this world, was regarded by them as a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life. By them, the Desert Fathers. We need not stop here to discuss the fairness of this view. What matters is to remember that it was a fact. These men who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society was purely and simply a disaster. The fact that the emperor was now Christian and that the world was coming to know the cross as a sign of temporal power only strengthened them to their resolve. Do you hear? The emperor, Constantine. The emperor was now Christian 
and he was protecting Christianity, and everybody was like, yeah, yes, and the monks were like, no, no. They saw, they understood these two paradigms, City Tower, Garden Mountain, and everybody was like, yes, the Garden Mountain is being bolstered by the City Tower, and the monks were like, no, it's being crushed and annihilated, and that's the point. It's not good. It's not going to be good. We're going to lose the heart of it. And so he said, that Merton, that's what Merton's writing about. Writing about. It's like they had to swim for their lives. They regarded this, this beginning process as a shipwreck from which they needed to get away. Right? Um, here's another quote from that book. The Wisdom of the Desert. These men seem to have thought as a few rare modern thinkers like Berdeva have that there is really no such thing as a, quote, Christian state. They seem to have doubted that Christianity and politics could ever be mixed to such an extent as to produce a fully Christian society. In other words, for them, the only Christian society was spiritual and extra mundane, the mystical body of Christ. Does any of that make sense to you? Some of it does. Like, you can't turn Christianity into a political force. You can't mix government and Christ. And so when he says the mystical body of Christ... um, Monks just thought, hey, you know what? It's just mystical means an experiential, real experiential knowing of God. And the body of Christ represents this mystery, the Eucharist, which is what Catholics, Protestants maybe may not be as familiar with the Eucharist, but it's this idea that we actually not literally ingest the body of Christ, but that Christ is our life. And this is what scripture says. Like there is a mysterious way that Christ himself is with us, walks with us. We have the Holy Spirit and Christ himself gives us strength. Even scripture says the spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. Like they understood that everything was about connection to Jesus through the Holy Spirit and connection through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to the Father. They understood this was Christianity. It wasn't a system of governance be it church or state, right? Here's something else Merton said about the Desert Fathers. What the Fathers sought most of all was their own true self in Christ. And in order to do this, they had to reject completely the false formal self fabricated under social compulsion in, quote, the world. They sought a way to God that was uncharted and freely chosen, not inherited from others who had mapped it out beforehand. They sought a God whom they alone could find, not one who was, quote, given in a set stereotype stereotyped form by anybody else. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying this path that the monks kind of continued and carved out wasn't pre-prescribed. It wasn't religious. And you go to church every Sunday and you give you, you do these, follow these rules and principles and it wasn't liturgical and legalistic. It was, he says, uncharted and freely chosen. Like it was wild, right? A path that was wild like the wilderness. They went to the literal wilderness because they were seeking a spiritual wilderness because they saw the church being co-opted by Rome, ingested into institutional government and becoming like that government, right? If you, if you really think about it, every <clears throat> form of the church after that time has taken on the structure of its government that it lives in. Rome was, was an emperor, right? Then you had the Pope and he was like the emperor in the church and in democracies, we have <clears throat> the pastors like the president, and he has his congress, the elders, right? So, but the monks were like, no, this is, this, there's this wild nature. It's uncharted. Like, nobody can tell you, it's not a formula. Nobody can tell you do X, Y, and Z, and you'll know God. It's like, well, how does it work? I, you got the Holy Spirit. 
I think. Well, let's keep walking. Let's walk together. Discipleship. Walk with me. You'll figure it out. Doesn't make sense. Just keep going. Right? Cool. Um, this is another interesting aspect, okay? This is Merton again. These monks insisted on remaining human and, quote, ordinary. This may seem to be a paradox, but it is very important. If we reflect a moment, we will see that to fly into the desert in order to be extraordinary is only to carry the world with you as an implicit standard of comparison. The result would be nothing but self-contemplation, self-comparison with the negative standard of the world one had abandoned. This is something I think we really need to, to think about in terms of city tower versus garden mountain city tower there's this tower it's stark it's imposing it's what it lifts itself above everybody else it creates this system where everybody's trying to lift themselves above everybody else everybody's trying to be extraordinary everybody's trying to stand out i mean think about our our, i mean this is so overblown now with social media and tiktok everybody's trying to turn themselves into a media sensation and get a bunch of fans and followers. And City Tower is you got to stand up and stand out. And you got to set yourself apart. And it's you, what you're your own God. You're exceptional. You're extraordinary. Doesn't God want us to be extraordinary? Uh, no. No, he doesn't. Scripture says, Live such humble and quiet lives among the pagans, that though they curse God, on the, they will praise him on the day of his visitation, because they will see the example of your lives. It's like, there's this idea. Garden Mountain isn't like... I become a Christian celebrity. And look at me, everybody. I've got this church and I've got these followers and it's like just ordinary people. I was reading this in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, he's talking about these super apostles and himself in comparison because the church is going after these celebrity pastors, even in Paul's time. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm not a celebrity pastor. And he's like, I would that you just would, if you came across me, you'd think of me as just as some fool on the street. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. What he's saying is we should just look like ordinary people. Because that's garden mountain is like everything is just, just nothing's that distinct. Everything's kind of ordinary. It's just the trees. It's just the woods. What look at a city? Every building tries to be distinct in architecture and like what is the city mentality? Is look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm special. I'm special. Why? Because in the city tower we've lost God, and so we don't know our specialness from the garden mountain, which comes from God at the top. Now we're all trying to we're all trying to create our own little towers in the tower city system. We're all trying to be extraordinary, but the true Christian is becoming more more ordinary, mundane, just becoming normal. We don't have this ego-driven need for people to appease us, affirm us, call us special because we our specialness comes from our relationship with God and I've just found this to be true. Like it's so fulfilling when God says, "I love you. I see you. I place something special in you. It's just yours." but it draws you into a body and in a community. It doesn't set you apart and you're not, like you're not the center of worship. In the tower city, the tower stands over everybody as the stark imposing figure. And it creates the system of worship. We all are worshiping ourselves. And who can get to the top of the tower and be at the top? Who can get the most worship? Mountain, mountain garden is like, everything's just kind of like a bunch of trees, plants. God's at the top and the, the climb up's kind of gradual and not like the mountain is a very gradual climb to the top the garden or the tower is like stark and straight up you know it's like so so demanding in its form and function singular and extraordinary it raises itself up above everything in the midst of everything in the midst of the city 
uh, uh, this is the last quote I'll read. Well, no, two more quotes. The simple men who lived their lives out to a good old age among the rocks and sands only did so because they had come into the desert to be themselves, their ordinary selves, and to forget a world that divided them from themselves. Again, division, right? The Coptic hermits who left the world as though escaping from Iraq did not merely intend to save themselves. They knew that they were helpless to do any good for others as long as they floundered about in the wreckage. But once they got a foothold on solid ground, things were different. Then they had not only to the power to, but even the obligation to pull the whole world to safety after them. So, sorry, two different thoughts. But the first thought is, when we're all trying to be special, set apart, that's division, right? And look at our world, like minority groups and everybody's clamoring for why they should be have special rights and it's division 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 but it's division for in the name of i'm special well don't know and what happens when someone says i'm special and i deserve special status what do you think well that's not right i want special status too and if everybody has special status then it's not special right but that's that's garden mountain like we all have special status but it's not against each other and it doesn't divide us it's like it's like parts of a body we understand our specialized part and our uniqueness as a part, but the body is this whole organism into which we fit that draws us together and makes each part make the most sense. You know, Paul talked about that. He uses that illustration. I can't remember if it's First Corinthians. But um, he's like, the eye can't say everybody should be an eye or I don't need the hands and like eyes are the best. <laughs> right? that's, that's trying to, to set your part above everybody. That's the city tower. It's divisive. Do you see how it's divisive culturally? Everybody's like, but I'm special. And everybody wants power for their own group. And they want to put other groups down. And they're trying to divide, divide, divide. I'm better. My morality is better. Christianity is better. No, Buddhism is better. No. Well, that's not the paradigm in God's world. God draws us each to our uniqueness, but it doesn't divide. And then the second thought was like, hey, as you begin to live in Garden Mountain time, like, you're being pulled out of the wreckage, you got to pull others out. That's kind of what he ends with here. We cannot do exactly what they did, but we must be as thorough and as ruthless in our determination to break all spiritual chains and cast off the domination of alien compulsions to find our true selves to discover and develop our inalienable spiritual liberty and to use it to build on earth the kingdom of heaven. So, he's saying, like, look, we can't go into the desert, the Egyptian desert, any desert. We can't leave the city. That's fine. But we need to follow the same process, right? Same process of getting out of the city tower. And what he says, and then getting and then using that journey to build on earth the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the mountain garden system. Um, so let's this I'll we'll read some of the wisdom of the the desert monks themselves. I think that's valuable and helpful. And then I'll get to a couple of scriptures. They both center on this one phrase, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And that's on the icon, and I haven't even referenced it yet, which is kind of funny. But here, we're, that's what we're talking about, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Like, we're called to live in the wilderness. But it's the actual real city. It's the real way God intends for humanity to be organized and ordered. And the city tower which looks the most organized is actually the least it's chaos it's destructive it's killing us it's the true wild but from the city looking at god and god's system that looks wild because it's not controlled or controllable so to us it's wild but god's like yeah it's wild i'm in control and it's like well we can't see how you're in control god it doesn't make sense and god's like yeah that's right because there's a mystery i'm like my ways are so far above your ways as isaiah says like you can't understand my ways 
to live in them, you have to, it's like journeying to the wilderness, but the wilderness, my wilderness is actually the true city. Your city is the true wilderness. Makes sense to you. It's ordered, it's organized, but it's killing you. You can't even see how it's killing you, right? It's this weird journey. Um, We'll read some of the wisdom of the Desert Fathers and then we'll like the voice crying in the wilderness. Why are we sojourners with God? Why are we really walking in the wilderness? Why is that metaphor so important? What does it mean to be sojourning as, you know, travelers to this wilderness? The wilderness of God. Um, this is, this is not, not all these are attributed to specific Desert Fathers. So this one, we don't know who said it, but this elder said, If you see a young monk by his own will climbing up into heaven, take him by the foot and throw him to the ground because what he is doing is not good for him. He's like, well, don't we want to get to heaven? Yep. But it's this key phrase. Traveling by his own will or by his own will climbing up to heaven. By his own will. This is important. The city tower is consumed with its own will, right? It's controlling everything for its own purpose. It's set itself up as God. It's built this tower. It knows how to get to the heavens. It knows how to conquer nature. It knows how to control everything for our good. It knows how to eradicate famine, poverty, disease. It knows how to do the things that this evil God won't do for our God, won't eradicate and control everything the way we want, right? Our will. Anything in the desert paradigm, in the mountain garden paradigm, anything you do in your will, super destructive. Because essentially what you're saying is, God, I know better than you, and I know how it should work, and I even know your truth, and I, I'm going to work it all out. And Look at the church I will build for you, God. My will, my will, my will. No, God does not ask us or need us to build his church. He's building it. We participate with him. We, we submit to his will. Okay? Okay, this is interesting. It was said about Abbot Agatho that for three years he carried a stone in his mouth until he learned to be silent. What's the city? All talk. Everybody's always talking. There's always a news story. There's always something fantastic going on or exciting or tragic and everything's talk, 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 talk. And there's so much data flying at us. And the garden mountain is like, let's all be quiet. How do you hear God? I can't hear God. Well, stop talking. Shut that that world, that city tower world is so noisy. It's because it's intended to shut God out. God is a still small voice. You guys spend a lot of time getting quiet. Not just like, again, it's not material. It's spiritual. Like, you got to stop your thoughts. That's hard. I've had to go through that process. Until you get, until you achieve a measure of stillness and quiet in yourself, in your interior, you will never even start to begin to hear God. So this abbot, Agatho, uh, he carried a stone in his mouth for three years so he would learn. It's a physical way to accomplish something spiritual. So he'd learn to be quiet. Abbot Anthony said, this is the one of the, considered one of the founding monks. Abbot Anthony said, just as fish die if they remain on dry land, so monks remaining away from their cells or dwelling with men of the world lose their determination to preserve in solitary prayer or to persevere, sorry, in solitary prayer. Therefore, just as the fish should go back to the sea, so we must return to ourselves. Lest remaining outside, we forget to watch over ourselves interiorly. Okay, so this whole cell, what is that? Well, you know, when we hear the word cell, we think prison cell. Monks had cells. It was a little tiny room where they went to get quiet where nobody could disturb you 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 were not to go into a monk's cell it was it was their inner sanctum the place they got away into to pray so it's not about the cell it's about going into your interior it's about spending a lot of time expose exposing your interior world to god uh, you know jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all else who can know it but i the lord search the heart and the mind 
Like, there's this idea that we can't even know ourselves. We can't know our dysfunction. Like, Garden City is, I know what's going on. I go to a psychologist. I read books. I'm smart. And I can figure out what's wrong with myself. And why do I do that? Why I get angry? Why, you know, why do I do all these bad things? I can figure it out. Nope. we got to spend a lot of time, like, in our cell, metaphorically. Being quiet, learning to get quiet so God can begin to speak to us. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and... Dang, there's a third one I can't remember. Um, repentance, maybe. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to point us to our interior. Well, you got to get quiet. you got to spend time listening. A lot of time, like years and years and years and years, decades. Getting your ego will out of the way, which the ego will is like, I can figure it out. I know. I'm smart. I read the books. I went to psychologists, and I learned, and I have degrees, and I'm smart. God's like, you, know, you can't even scratch the surface with your understanding. Again, this is the wisdom of the desert. This is the wisdom of Garden Mountain. You can't figure anything out. You've got to be humble. You've got to sit. You've got to be quiet. You've got to go out of the noise of clutter and the busyness of the city with all its imposing straight lines and buildings and structured society. And you've got to just get into the wild. Like, the reality is, you are the wilderness in the city. Inside you, it's not the, the city itself, the structure... It's not the physical buildings and the streets and the government systems. It's the fact that inside you is a wilderness. It's wild. It's untamed. It's not been brought under God's control. That's the true wilderness. It's you. And so what? You've got to start to sit and let that be exposed. And it's painful and it's scary and it's crazy. And what you first learn is you're not really in control of yourself. That's scary. I, I went through a breakdown six years ago. It was God pulling me into the desert and the darkness and revealing, I can't even control my own thoughts and emotions. How much do I really control? And God's saying, okay, now you see how much your life is like a wilderness. It's chaotic, and now you need to really learn how to live in the wild. Where I'm in control, and I can bring you under my will and guidance. Crazy. Uh, This is a story about Abbot John the Dwarf. So, Abbot Pastor said that Abbot John the Dwarf had prayed to the Lord, and the Lord had taken away all his passions, so that he became impassable, like passive. And in this condition, he went to one of the elders and said, You see before you a man who is completely at rest and has no more temptations. The elder said, Go and pray to the Lord to command some struggle to be stirred up in you, for the soul is matured only in battles. And when the temptation started up again, he did not pray that the struggle be taken away from him, but only said, Lord, give me strength to get through the fight. <laughs> I love this. The reason we don't like the desert, because it draws us into all the things inside us that are not right. It draws us into a fight. The world really is full of distraction. It pacifies. It puts us in a place where we are numb. Man, when I had my breakdown, the thing that God did was he increased my sensitivity by so much. All of a sudden, I could feel everything very acutely. Didn't like it. What I, you know, it caused me to have physical panic attacks, mental and emotional unrest, and, and just everything I mean, in me was chaotic, but it was because I just entered the fight. I thought I was fine. I wasn't. I was deceived. I was numb. I was darkened in my understanding. And God enlightened my understanding and said, you see all the chaos? And he began to point it out. And so it's like, that's what this uh, Abbot Pastor is saying about, is it that? about John, Abbot John the Dwarf. Must have been a short guy, I guess. He <laughs> uh, wasn't really a dwarf, I don't think. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, that's what he's saying. 
Like if you're not if you're not going through spiritual battles and wrestling with the flesh, it's not because it's not in you anymore. It's because you're numb. In the city tower, it's numb. We think we're fine. We're pacified. We're addicted. We're dumbed down. We're dark in our understanding. Like man, that's the thing, man. That the the desert garden tower, or sorry, the desert garden mountain life. It's a fight. Even as you grow, get stronger, fight doesn't go away. It just means that you have, right, he said, Lord, give me strength to get through the fight. Your strength grows when you fight. If you're not fighting, like that never stops. You grow stronger in it, right? But it doesn't stop. If, it's, if you're not in a fight every day, if you're not sensing the kingdoms of, kingdom of darkness coming against you, and I'm not talking fighting with people, that's wrong. We're to love people. We're fighting against the kingdom. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, says Paul, but against the powers of the kingdom of the darkness, of the, of the, of the air. Kingdom of darkness, whatever, you know. I, I got close. That's our fight. If you're not having a fight with Satan every day, woo, guess what? You're living in the Tower, tower City. Because Satan designed that to eradicate any idea of spiritual including himself. I don't see Satan anywhere. I don't see God anywhere. Yeah, because you're in the wrong system. Like Satan doesn't want to expose himself. If you really saw Satan, first it would freak the heck out of you. Second, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I need to do something. God, help me. You wouldn't, you would, you, when you start to really experience God, spiritual, spiritual reality, it's not like pleasant and nice. It's a fight. It's scary. And it, it like, you have to do something. It's stark. It's not like, I'm good. I just kind of drink another Coke and watch my favorite show and get on the internet and Facebook and go to work and I'm good and we're all good even though nobody's happy and everybody hates everybody. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Time for some scriptures. And then, better wrap it up pretty soon. Um, so I'll just kind of give a brief overview because... Uh, John is John quotes this passage from Isaiah 40. I want to really focus on Isaiah 40, not John, but John John says that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. So I wanted to get into that a little bit, but basically, you know, part of it, as we walk in the wilderness, as we become these people in the wilderness, I just, we can learn from John. What did John do as he went literally into the wilderness too? Like he was before the Desert Fathers. The Jews had this these communities of basically like monks in the desert too. John, in the wilderness, prophet, like a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. Like our job as we go into the wilderness is to begin to make straight the ways of the Lord. What We help people come to know Jesus. So as you grow and mature, as you start to get into garden mountain time, you get more out of the way. John said, I must decrease, he must increase. Like, you know, so... John is a good, a good example of what we are to become. But there's this, he quotes this thing from Isaiah. He's like, this is my calling. So I want to go, go to Isaiah 40. I wish I could read all of it. It's about, it's firstly about Israel. And, and they've been in this desert time. God's brought them into this time of suffering because they've been wayward. See, they had this really great tower city system. They turned God into a city tower system, but they lost God. So God casts them into suffering, into captivity. But he's talking about that coming to an end in Isaiah 40. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now see, when I read it in John, I heard a voice of one calling in the wilderness. That's how I read it. But here it's a voice of one, colon, quote, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Like, I thought it was like John is in the, the wilderness, a voice in the wilderness. But it's actually a voice and in the wilderness. In, 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 that voice is saying, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. What does this mean? God desires us to live in the wilderness. He calls us into the desert. In the desert, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. God's way, God's path is in the desert, in the wilderness. This is the way God desires us to live in a wilderness and in a desert. Verse 4, every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, so he's talking about every mountain, hill made low, rough ground, become level, rugged places, plain. Like he's saying, okay, it's a wilderness, but it's not crazy. It's ordered. It's organized. It's a different order. It looks like it's wild to us, but it's not. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's like, it's not, you get in the wilderness and you're, you think you're going to die every minute and it's crazy. And it's like, well, you, in the wilderness, you get out of your own way of controlling things and you can encounter God, right? It says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Like, it's a society built around God where we really actually come to know God. It's not crazy and I'm going to die every minute because beasts, wild beasts are attacking me. It's, no, it's this place that's it's actually very ordered, but it's ordered in a way where God is revealed. The center of the city tower is, I don't see God anywhere. I've got this imposing tower and that's my system and that's what I look to. I look to the government, I look to our systems, I look to all our civilization and technology and, and I can't see God anywhere. But the glory of the Lord is revealed in the wilderness and the desert. There's so many things in this in this uh, passage. I just can't read all of it, though. I will pick up with verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So God's like, he's so present. He's so powerful. I don't see God's power. I pray and pray and pray. I don't see him answering prayer. So how does God work? He's not, um, he's not totalitarian and he's not just controlling and bringing these catastrophes. And right? he, he gently leads those that have young. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He's tender. He's a shepherd that tends his flock. It's a different kind of power. It's tender. It's subtle. It's woven in like the threads of a loom. It's like, it's, it's like, you know, heaven, earth. We don't even see it. It's, it's effusive, right? But he's so powerful, but he doesn't, he, he chooses not to control, right? Because city tower is controlling, so controlling, it kills us. That's not God. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Like, oh, God, like God is powerful over everything, but he doesn't exert his power the way the city tower does with control that kills us. Like God's trying to bring us to life, so he doesn't come in 
and with this wrath and anger and crush us. He comes in and lifts us up and carries us like lambs. Lambs are stupid. They don't know what they're doing. God's like, I know you don't know. That's why you, you gravitate towards the city tower because it's like that kind of power you can see and not only can you control it, it really controls you, but it's like you think that's better because you can see how it works because you can understand it and you can try to make it work for you. You can't understand my power, but it's better. It's gentle. It's so strong, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't carry itself or I don't carry my power in a way that crushes you and you'll miss it if you don't know how to see it. This is interesting. Picking up with verse 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsel? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Well, I don't understand how the spirit works. Yeah, spirit's like the wind. Don't know where he's going, where he comes from. Hey, in the city tower, you got to understand everything. Everything has to make sense. It has to be rationally understood and put into a system that, that makes sense. It's... It's, it's quantitative. Everything has to, be, to line up and equal out and balance out. On a spreadsheet, it has to all fit. There can't be any mystery or outliers. It's not an enchanted world. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct him? You can't be smarter than God. God, I don't understand how it works. That's right. Well, until I understand it, I'm not going to... Well, then you never will. So I talked about in Burden of Proof, right? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? It doesn't make sense to me, God. It seems so wild and it's scary and it's out of my control and, and, and I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. And God's like, that's right. That's my system. I'm in control. Can you understand me? That's what it says. Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Like when we go to God and say, God, I don't understand this and I don't like that. And why did you do that? And why don't you heal my friend of cancer? And God, you're like, you're trying to teach God. You're trying to tell God what to do. And God's like, that's not how it works. You don't understand my ways. In my system, you got to submit to me and it, you, don't, it, you don't get to make sense of it. When I decide, I will, I will help you understand it. It's like God doesn't want us to be without understanding. He gave us a mind just as he has a mind to understand. But we don't lead with understanding. We don't get to demand that God make things make sense to us before we'll do it. It's like that's not how it works. God, the way God understands things is so much bigger. And maybe we, won't, we probably won't see most of it until after we die. But do you trust him? It's faith, right? Trust that God's working things out for your good. Doesn't look like it. You're in the wilderness now. You don't get to make sense of it. You want something to make sense, you got to live in the city tower. It makes sense, but it kills you. And it doesn't even actually make sense because you don't even understand that it's killing you because it looks good to you. Crazy. <sighs> i got to wrap it up. Okay. City tower. Garden mountain. Will, it's a wilderness. It's the desert. It's crazy. It's a system so foreign to us. How do we become sojourners with God? Got to get out of the city tower into the garden mountain. Got to learn to live in the desert. But it's actually, that's the true city. That's true civilization. City tower is actually the true wilderness because it's killing us. It's the true wild which destroys us. It's the true chaos. We got to come into what looks like a wilderness because we're not in control and it's scary and it looks like it will kill us. But as we step out in faith, and let go of our own control. We start to learn God's ways. We start to really sojourn with God himself. Amen. And everywhere I go, I see you. It's lyrics from a Rich Mullins song. 
Lord, you're leading me with a cloud by day. And, and then in the night, the coals of a burning flame. And everywhere I go, I see you. Everywhere I go, I see you. Have you learned to see God, to hear God? Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have the ears to hear? The real question is, have we adapted the church to the tower city system and we really don't know how to hear God at all and we're just doing this church thing but it's really patterned after after the city tower which is really patterned after Satan's system which is really designed to kill us. Or have we truly learned to live in the wilderness and the desert like the Desert Fathers? Have we, do we recognize that most of its history the church has been more adapted to Satan's kingdom than God? That's pretty serious. But what does that really mean? It means you don't know how to hear God for yourself. That's what the monks tried to preserve. That's what they still do today. That's what contemplation is. Do you know how to hear God? That's the one question. Or are you learning? Is your church teaching you that? Is it even putting that out in front of you? Or is it just like learn some scripture, come to church, give you 10%, go to Sunday school, get some good truths in your head. That's what it means. It's not what it means. Those are good things. Those are things along the journey. But if you don't understand that the end goal is knowing God and hearing God for yourself, then you're in the wrong system. You're in the city tower instead of Garden Mountain. And you're not truly in the wilderness with God because you don't even know God. Wow. Well, that's the question for you to ask yourself, for you to ask your church, for you to ask your pastor. Are, am I learning? Am I coming to know God? If I'm not, then maybe I'm not even in the right system at all. Crazy. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. You can always catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or Google Jay Randall Ori. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.